What if you could simply trust all information on the internet? My name is Sebastian and I'm on a mission to build a trusted web for all of us on planet Earth. An internet where my parents, possibly my future kids and my own generation can find truth and feel safe. Because to save the world, we need to fix the internet. In the Trusted Web podcast, I embark on a journey with you, my listener, and thought leaders to explore what needs to get done. With this special thing called blockchain timestamps, all content you consume will be transparent and accountable. Welcome to the new default on the internet. Thank you for being part of this journey and let's build the Trusted Web together. In this episode, I'm joined by Arjun Morty. Arjun has always been passionate about news from when he was a paperboy in middle school through becoming an editor-in-chief in the Stanford Reporter. He was the vice president of business development at HubSpot and Arjun holds a Bachelor of Science in Computer Engineering from the University of Waterloo and an MBA from the Stanford University. In 2016, he co-founded The Factual, of which he's the CEO today. And at its core, The Factual is an algorithm that rates the credibility of over 10,000 news articles daily. Arjen, thanks for uh, coming on the show. Thank you very much for having me, Sebastian. Delighted to be here. To open it, I had a broad question. What's the state of misinformation and fake news today? it's definitely, uh, uh, it's, a, it's a problem, <laughs> but uh, I characterize the problem into two groups. So I think a lot of times when people think about uh, fake news and misinformation, they think about sort of actual false information, incorrect information, um, sometimes deliberately incorrect information, which would be misinformation. And uh, my suspicion is that that's still a small fraction of the news. The vast majority of news that we have is just mediocre. It's written, it conveys some information, and more often than not, the problem it gets into is that there's bias in the way that the information is presented. And it could be how the story is framed or even what stories people choose to report on. But increasingly, the public's frustration with the news is not just that it could be inaccurate, but it seems biased. It's kind of tilted in some way. It's trying to force me to a conclusion. And so the problem that we are trying to solve is more around bias and having all the facts around a story, not so much about deliberately false information. We do solve that to some degree as a side effect, but it's not the very first problem we set out to solve. What does your organization do? Because you, you have an algorithm that does uh, 10,000, 10, at least 10,000 uh, checks on a daily basis. I saw a website with information from all sources where you can compare it. Uh, what, what does your organi- organization do and how do you contribute to solving the problems? Yeah. So at its core, we just try to do a very simple thing for the public. We help them get news that is credible on trending topics. And so packed into that statement are two things. The first is, as we said, credible news, which we are saying is really about getting all the different angles to a story. So we do this by curating multiple perspectives from across the political spectrum on a topic. And then the trending part is because we know that there's just too much news in the world that people say all the time. It's just too much. I can't keep up. 
So what we do is we use our algorithms also to help identify what topics are trending and are important from a you know, political standpoint, both domestic and international, uh, business news, culture, health, science, that kind of stuff. And then we try to boil it down to just five topics every day in a daily newsletter. So our primary product that we give to people is a newsletter, just subscribe with an email, you get the five topics, the biggest topics, and the best uh, credibility stories across the political spectrum on each of them. So very quickly, you can come up to speed and not have to worry about, oh, I don't know, it's slanted this way or that way. And so it saves people time. At its core, I would say that's what we try to do is to save people time. How do people use that? For example, do people use it instead of discovering new stories via social media? Yeah, at this time, as you sort of uh, get habituated into reading our newsletter, then you start to rely on the newsletter as your first sort of news digest of the day. I don't think we are at the point where people give up uh, every other news source just because they read the factual. I think people still read a few sources, but increasingly they rely on the factual for their first um, dose of news. And now the website, because it's live and has all the trending topics, not just the five, and now we have an app, then it gives people a little bit more opportunities to uh, explore the news. And fundamentally, I think what it should do is it should leave social media to what it's good at, which is it's good at connecting with friends and family. It's good at finding some interesting esoteric uh, material content uh, that might be related to a profession or interest. It was never really designed for news. It's not really meant for that. And so it's sort of a poor experience. I saw a lot of problems, as you know. And I think what I would like to see is that social media uh, is used for what it's good at, which is friends and family stuff and maybe professional development. And news comes through in a format that's better for news, which surprisingly, the newsletter is actually a really good format for that. You know, very much like how we got news 30 years ago, you know, the newspaper on your doorstep. Well, now you have in, in your inbox every morning. Would you say that you're directly competing with the website from the, uh, the news outlets, for example? Yeah, to some degree we are. Um, but look, ultimately we are an aggregator and we are looking for the best stories from hundreds of sites. And on any given day, you should see, I would say maybe 100 or 200 different sites in our website that have been curated by topic. So we drive traffic back to these uh, organizations and we ourselves don't carry any ads. Um, so really our goal is to say, let's get people to the best writing from hundreds of sources that you might never know about. Like most people will know the New York Times or uh, Financial Times or Washington Post and they're good, but there's even better writing on often smaller sites that you would just never know. It's in the long tail of the internet. Uh, we try to surface that and help those kinds of sites and, and the big ones also get traffic. And ultimately, you might fall in love with those brands. But yeah, we drive people back to them. So to some degree, we compete because obviously, you know, people are starting to read us first. But uh, I think of it as, as hopefully a symbiotic relationship where your individual brands have very loyal customers. If you love the New York Times, then go to the New York Times. It's a great site. But maybe you're like, eh, I'm kind of lukewarm at the times. I like it sometimes. I don't always like it. Then maybe we're a better fit for you. And you will see sometimes material and you will be driven back to the times when they have good stories. But it's not just the New York Times. So I think it's two different market segments. There's your loyal people. Go to the brand. There's the people that are not loyal. I think they come to someone like us. 
Yeah, clear. And it's coming from many research before trust arises or before an opinion is formed, multiple articles are needed in which you facilitate with your tool then, of course. That's right. That's right. Yeah. One of the things I saw is you, you have plugins for browsers, which label stuff in social media as well. Yes. Is that one of the, I spoke, for example, to uh, Alan Duke from uh, Lead Stories and what they do, they have a collaboration with, for example, Facebook and they give back information on articles. Is that one of the things you do or want to do in the future or is, is it mainly newsletter focused? We do inject our ratings directly into your Twitter and Facebook feed on your laptop or desktop using our extension. Um, I don't yet know how much more we continue to develop that. We, we might, I, I think people like it, so we keep it, but it's not the core focus um, because at the end, you're still getting news in social. It's still somewhat of a random feed that's driven by someone else's algorithm. And at the end, you may or may not be getting the best news there. So I think it's it's interesting, it's it's helpful, but the better sort of offering that we have is the newsletter and the app and the site, that tells you, you will find all the news across the political spectrum and only on things that matter. And then stop reading the news, do something else with your life, go. <laughs> so I can imagine that the browser plugin will evolve until some, into something that will filter news out of your feeds. <laughs> Maybe, maybe, you know, I think the, the browser plugin is interesting. I didn't realize uh, when I built it originally that it's kind of an advanced feature. Like a lot of normal people in the world don't use browser plugins. <laughs> so if you want to help a lot of people get high quality news, then a browser plugin may not really appeal to them. It's a bit too fancy all of a sudden. So I think we will definitely evolve it, certainly add, you know, like we could inject our ratings anywhere. In Reddit, you could even inject it into a website like The Times or Deutsche Welle or whatever, any, anywhere you want to do it. Um, but uh, I don't know. I'm sort of waiting to see what the public asks for. And then we go where, wherever our customers and users tell us, we'll do that. What we are working on with the trusted web movement is making uh, transparency and accountability. So who is the center of information? part of the internet's DNA in an open source way. That, that's, that's the ambition, to make trust really part of the internet's DNA. What, part of that is educating search engines and policymakers on information that is transparent. So for example, if you show revisions and if that you prove that you didn't tamper with that, that's what we do with blockchain technology, it should rank higher than information that's not transparent. Um, and accountability the same. The more you're willing to put identity of a company or as a journalist, as a person behind company, content that's accountable can rank higher or go viral opposed to content that's anonymous. Is that something, and an important building block there is that we say, hey, information that hasn't been taken accountability for must not be able to go viral. Um, I can imagine what you have in uh, with the the outcome of your algorithm. If you inject that in a social media algorithm, which can be enforced by uh, policymakers, but that's a hard call, of course. Um, it has lots of value when the outcome of your algorithm is part of how a search engine, for example, ranks. Yeah, and uh, so a couple of things in there. First of all, I think that our algorithm, uh, you know, I, I'll, just for, for your listeners, I'll explain very quickly. The algorithm at its core emphasizes expertise rather than popularity. 
at its basic level, that's what it's trying to do. So it's trying to say, is this article authoritative in some manner? Is it written by a journalist who is a beat reporter and focuses on this topic, maybe exclusively writes on this? And how have previous writings been on this? And then each article is scored for things that we think of as uh, characteristics of an authoritative article. So uh, extensiveness of sources, links, quotes, diversity, uh, non-repetitiveness, et cetera. Um, how unopinionated it is. You know, a good journalist may have some opinion, but really they try to communicate a lot of facts and the complexity of an issue. And so we look at that. Um, and then site reputation sort of historically has the site uh, or source produced high quality material. Those four factors are then calculated for every article individually. And that's the thing that we do 10,000 times a day, et cetera, and find the best word. So to your point, you know, is a framework like this uh, and, and even your blockchain use or could it be injected into search engines? I think that uh, someone like Google probably has something like what we do to be totally candid. Look, they're, they have the biggest data store in the world and, and they have amazing engineers. I'm sure they have some variation of what we do. Um, the challenge for them and for Facebook and all of these guys is that their brand is no longer trusted when it comes to news. No one's going to say, well, I totally trust because Google said it. When it comes to news, you might trust other things, but not that. Same with Facebook. And once your brand is tarnished in news, it's very difficult to get it back. Moreover, because these companies, again, they didn't really build their product thinking about news, a lot of their internal workings are hidden, right? You don't really know how it works because that's their secret sauce. Uh, in our case, we're the opposite. We're very transparent. Hey, this is how the algorithm works. This is how this article is rated. You can agree, disagree, but you should know. Now, transparency builds trust, and that's really good. But again, those kinds of people, Google and Facebook, they couldn't do what we do because that's their secret sauce. What are they? And it's too complex, frankly. I, I think a lot of people would just be like, huh? I don't even understand what you're saying. So I think it's hard for them to do what we do in a transparent fashion. I'm sure they do it somewhere underneath the covers, but their delivery format and mechanism make it hard for people to know that they're getting the full news. And then, of course, their brand is no longer trusted. Um, and then finally, on the blockchain bit, you know, if do articles that um, really have accountable reporters and sources and have sort of ratings on, hey, they correct their news and they own up to mistakes they made, should it rank higher? Yes, I agree, absolutely. Um, I don't know that, you know, I don't know when we will have some sort of standard or way that a third party like myself or Google could evaluate and pick up on those signals. So in lieu of that, what we have is some sort of uh, hodgepodge way that we've all built. Google built one, we built one. And we look at articles and we extract all the metadata and look particularly at journalists and who, you know, what they've written on in the past. Um, and what I would say is so far, our approach seems to work good enough, which is we seem to find authoritative, credible content on trending topics, and you do avoid any sort of outright falsehoods. And then having the multiple perspectives helps you balance any bias that might be present. I think it's working as, as evidenced by our user base, but um, I think it's going to get, it'll have to get more sophisticated in future. Eventually, people will always try to break your system and try to find ways around it. And so when that starts to happen, we have some anti-fraud prevention technology, but I think things like blockchain and stuff may end up factoring, but that's in the future.
Yeah, and I can imagine because the question, what is true or not, that's super hard. Of course, that's what you have your algorithm for. So what we apply blockchain technology for is firstly, transparency, showing that you didn't tamper with your uh, dates, for example. And secondly, who is the one sending the information? So for truth, always an algorithm, of course, is needed or people or community or some sorts of that. Actually, the thing that we always say is that um, determining whether an individual fact is true or false is extraordinarily difficult. And I would actually argue maybe impossible for a computer to do. The reason is not only is it a challenge technically, but even a fact requires context and history. And it doesn't just stand on its own. It's how it was framed. No computer algorithm can solve that. So I think of the right solution as a partnership between computers and humans, where the computers do some things that they're good at. Hey, we get rid of the bad stuff. We filter into, you know, we know these are good journalists and good sites and important stories and, and you know, well-written, well-researched articles. That gets you to 90% of the way. But the last 10% is on humans. We have to be better judges of news. When we read news, we need to be smarter, think critically, be skeptical, ask for evidence, look for alternatives. That's, that's on us, the public. And then we have a really good society because the public is constantly like, wait, where did you get that from? Who, what, what about this? Why did you think? And then it holds everyone accountable. Politicians are held accountable. Companies are held accountable. That's a good way to think about the final. So I don't think it's, um, you know, sometimes people are very eager to say, oh, let's just, you know, the algorithm, the AI will tell us. And I think that's not likely. And then the other extreme is AI is bad. Look at what it did for Google and Facebook. We should get rid of all technology. And I think that's also bad. There's a middle ground I think we have to find. Quick question to publishers. Do you work with them or isn't that necessary? We do not work officially with any publishers now. And it's not necessary uh, because we're effectively an aggregator and we do you know, sort of other technology. That in, it actually, like the, what we're doing is broadly classified as search engines. So a lot of news organizations want to be indexed by search engines. They want their content to be discovered. So really what we do is good for them and that's good. Um, I think the fact that we also don't sell ads is also nice. What's the business model? Oh, it's a subscription. So yeah, you have a, a, a two-week trial, free two-week trial. And then after that, uh, it's a subscription for uh, $5 a month or $20 a year. And you get the full newsletter, full access to the site, the app, et cetera. Um, but ultimately, we're always driving traffic back to the publishers. Yeah, clear. How many people are on the, on the list? How, how many users are there? Yeah, tens of thousands of people. Amazing, man. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, it's coming along. We're still, I think we're still small, but uh, it's good. I like where we are. Uh, we have happy users and they're telling their friends to use it. And that's usually the sign that you've done something useful. If they're using it and they tell other people, that's a good sign. Is it US or Europe as well? Uh, it's all over the world. Uh, I would say most of our readers are in the US. Um, probably maybe 10% are international, Europe, Canada, uh, Australia, whatever. Um, primarily English speaking, because right now the technology is only an English speaking uh, content. And uh, I think in the near future, we will add international, uh, probably a European edition. There's a fair amount of demand for that. I think we would probably do that next. Looking forward to see it. And uh, a, a rapid fire, last questions. The, um, how will the problem of fake news evolve in this decade? What do you expect from what you see? Yeah, I think that um, 
people that are trying to publish outright false news will get more and more sophisticated. Uh, it will get harder to sometimes detect it. I think the solution is going to be uh, what I said before, which is for people to understand that news is not solely entertainment. You have to think, you have to use your critical thinking skills. And I hope the public gets more uh, intelligent and thoughtful about their news sources. We've sort of, I think collectively as a, as a society, we've now seen what happens if you start to trust bad information. And I think that there will always be maybe five or 10% of the population that go to bad sources and, and indulge in conspiracy theories because it makes them, their worldview works. But if 90% of us are listening to good sources and challenging each other with thoughtful arguments, then we will have enough center of gravity in society to make sure that the debate and discourse stays in the rational domain. So I worry not so much about the 10, I worry about the 90. The 90, that's the core. Let's make sure that all of us are getting high quality information and uh, then hopefully the, the bad stuff doesn't sort of creep in too much. <laughs> and um, uh, last two things, what should policymakers do in, uh, a few, in a few lines? That's tough for policymakers. They, uh, I think what they should encourage is maybe penalties for outright falsehood. So we have, you know, whatever, slander and libel and these kinds of things. I think that's good. We should enforce it where required. Uh, we should encourage media literacy. Like I said, I think a big part of it is on society to get better and more quizzical about the news. I tend to be a little averse to heavy regulation when it comes to news because I think news works well when reporters are out there doing their best. They're digging up dirt. They're finding the information. But then hold them accountable if they get things wrong uh, and or they're malicious about it. Yeah, hold them accountable. Super interesting. We did a research state of misinformation. Uh, I'll send you the report. And one of the outcomes, one of the outcomes is that uh, there's great support for making it a crime, the, the intentional misinformation for making that a crime. Yeah. I think the challenge, of course, is how do you prove that something was intentional misinformation? For sure. <laughs> for sure. So, yeah, it, it, it's hard to do. But it surprised me the majority was really in favor of making it punishable, at least. One thing that I hope, and this is just kind of a crazy idea, but my hope is that over time, both sources and journalists, when they have these ratings and rankings like we do, that people start to see, hey, this is someone that has been really good. Like their ratings have been very high. They consistently put out information. When they make mistakes, they own up and accept it. And if, if the public can see who are those journalists in topic areas, oh, I want to know on, on criminal justice, or I want to know on uh, healthcare, who are those best reporters? Who are those best sources? If ratings like ours can help people find them, then to me, that's where uh, technology is the best. Technology should elevate the good and drown out the bad. It will never completely suppress the bad. If you really want, you will find it. But let us use technology to elevate the really good stuff and help you find that easily. And then 90% of us will never really see the junk. And that's the best outcome. I fully agree. And uh, yeah, to wrap it up, Aryan, where can people find your super elegant uh, website? And uh, <laughs> because I saw it, it feels really good. Where can people oh, find thank you? you? Yeah, just go to thefactual.com and sign up, enter your email address. And once you do that, you'll automatically get the newsletter, access to the app, the site, the whole thing. So just an email address at thefactual.com. All information is in the show notes. Uh, Aryan, thank you so much, firstly, for the important work and secondly, for joining the show. Thank you very much, Sebastian. This is delightful. I hope it was useful for all your listeners as well. Let's build a trusted web together. Thanks so much, Anne.
Thank you very much. It was great. Thanks a lot. That was Aryan, CEO of The Factual. Super interesting project. And I'd love to see where they go in the coming uh, years and decade. Lastly, I'd love to invite you as a listener to go to thetrustedweb.org slash podcast. There you'll find our report on the state of misinformation as we surveyed thousands of participants across the globe to better understand the impact misinformation has on their lives and how they view that problem. The findings that we, uh, that we did during the research are absolutely incredible, surprise all of us over here. So check out that report. And furthermore, on that website, you'll find uh, the show notes of this episode, other episodes, other guests, there's education and use cases for building a trusted web. And of course, all is available there on the website for free. thetrustedweb.org slash podcast. Thank you for listening and therefore being part of the trusted web journey. And let's build the trusted web together.